Listen now for the word of God. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me be like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatty calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became so angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and, you never, and, and I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we continue the sermon series, Tell Me the Stories of Jesus, on the parables of Jesus, by looking at one that, well, if there was a greatest hits of parables, this would be on the album, okay? And that is the parable of the prodigal son. And prodigal's not a word that we use in our language very often. 
much outside this parable or to relate to something similar to the parable. But the word itself means spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant. The younger son, the one that left and went off and squandered all the money, is called the prodigal son because of his actions. That's what he did. He went out and spent money, resources, freely and recklessly, wastefully and extravagantly. Now, in order to understand this parable, we need to look at what happens right before this in Luke's gospel. I got a friend, used to, used to be my boss back in the back many years ago when I worked at Kilgore College. His name's Bill Gibbs. That's him right there. Handsome guy, isn't he? Well, he told me one time when he was in Bible college that he's taking a class on the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and that at the end of one of the tests, the professor had provided a bonus question. And that bonus question was, what is the lost chapter of the Bible? What is the lost chapter of the Bible? Now, Bill said he didn't know the answer, uh, and so he didn't get the bonus points. But knowing Bill, he's real smart. He made an A anyway. There's no doubt about that. He, he wasn't like me. When I was in college, I needed every bonus point I could get. But he emailed me about this, and, and I had to admit that even going through seminary, I didn't know what the lost chapter of the Bible was. It was curious, and I'm thinking, okay, what's well, one of the one of the apocrypha, one of the extra books of the Bible that was submitted, and when people wanted it, some people wanted it to be a part of the canon, but the others were not. And I thought, well, no, maybe it's some secret, maybe it's some Dead Sea Scrolls or something that they found, and they they have transcribed it, and now they want that to be part, and it was lost, and it was originally there, and it's not there, and I thought, no, I don't know what it was, but then. As I kept reading, it finally dawned on me what the lost chapter of the Bible is. The lost chapter is Luke 15. Luke 15. Why? Well, there's a good reason. Jesus tells three parables right in a row. Boom, boom, boom. And those parables, each one of them, has to do with something that was lost. First off, he starts off, with the parable of the lost sheep. And then he follows that with the parable of the lost coin. And then he ends the chapter with the parable of the lost son. Now, if we back up to the beginning of this chapter, we also discover who Jesus is talking to. It's very important if you see, you know, to know your audience. And Jesus was not talking just to the general public. He was speaking to a particular group of people if we go back up and read, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. So Jesus is targeting these lost parables to the Pharisees and teachers of the law. They didn't like Jesus. They didn't. Being Jewish, you would think that they'd be tickled to death to be in the presence of the, of, of the Messiah, right? Oh, you would think that they, they had been praying for years and centuries to come. The scriptures and the, of the Old Testament had promised it, and the prophets had prophesied it, and they were looking for the Messiah to come and redeem Israel. And he's standing right there, and you think they would be welcoming that? No, 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 uh-uh. 
Jesus couldn't be the Messiah. And why? Because of fear. They feared Jesus because he was upsetting the status quo. Things in the Jewish faith had been the same for centuries. Then Jesus shows up, calls them out on the things that they were doing wrong. I can just hear them muttering and griping among themselves. Say, Everything was just fine. And there comes this guy from Nazareth in Galilee. I mean, can anything good come from Nazareth, really, you know? And he's healing people and casting out demons and saying things and that are threatening the way that we've done things, the way that the things have always been. We can't have that. We'll, 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 we'll lose our power. We'll lose our prestige. Our place is the top people in our society. It'd be horrible. We've got to find some way to stop him. So it's to those people with that kind of attitude that Jesus tells these three parables. They're griping. They're upset. Any good Jewish person would not be eating with sinners and tax collectors, right? So Jesus tells them. All these parables include something lost, that something being found, and then a great celebration after that something is found. In the parable of the prodigal son, we find that. The parable is longer and more complex than the other two parables in the chapter, but I think it's also more powerful, too. You know, a lost sheep's important, but at the end of the day, it's a sheep, right? And a lost coin is important, but at the end of the day, it's, it's only money. But a lost son, a prodigal son, that's a human being. That's a father's son. That's a soul. And that raises it to a higher level. Now, to help us in understanding this parable, it's important to talk about something that goes by a big, fancy, long name. And that is the right of primogeniture. I'll say that ten times real fast, all right? Right of primogeniture, and it's the right of the firstborn. And the first century is really a big deal. Now, the right of primogeniture is the right of the firstborn son to inherit most of the property and money from the father. The firstborn son. Now, ladies, I'm sorry. It's not fair. I don't like it. I've got two daughters and a wife. I don't think it's fair at all or anything like that. But in the first century, that's the way it was. I did some research on this, and what I found on the Internet, and if it's on the Internet, you know it's got to be true, right? That's what Abraham Lincoln said. If it's on the Internet, it's got to be true. So the firstborn son receives a double share of the inheritance. For example, the, the parable of the prodigal son, we have two sons, right? So the oldest son will receive two-thirds of the property and the money and all the other things that the father owns. And the younger son will receive only one-third. So the older son receives twice as much as the younger son. Knowing this, we can see that, well, the younger son probably kind of had a little chip on his shoulder to begin with, right? Might have psychologically not felt like he was valued or loved as much as the older son. Might have had some bitter feelings. Might have been a little even angry about the situation. But it's, it still doesn't excuse his behavior, but I can't help but wonder if he kind of had this kind of mindset if it didn't influence his decisions. Now, something else to be aware of. <clears throat> if we go back and look in the 20th, 21st chapter 
of Deuteronomy, the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, we find some laws. And these laws talk about the right of primogeniture, the how this is going to be established, and the son gets this and that and whatever. But right immediately after that, we find a law on what to do with a rebellious son. Yes, this is interesting. I found it interesting. Here's what it says. If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they, when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him, bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. They shall say to the elders, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his town are to stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. Kind of brutal, isn't it? It's kind of scary, too. You know? Now, mom and dads, please, do not go from here today and use this scripture on your kids, okay? If you have a firstborn son and he misbehaves, you not, don't do like you're driving and say, do you want me to pull this car over? You say, do you want me to go Deuteronomy 21 on you? Do you want me to? No, you don't want me to do it. If I go Deuteronomy 21 on you, you ain't going to like it. You better straighten up and fly right or I will. I'll take you to the leaders of the, at the gate of the city and you ain't going to like it. Don't go do, don't do that. Don't go Deuteronomy 21 on them. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that this one of the Jewish laws at the time, knowing it, makes me even more impressed with the father's action in the parable of the, of the prodigal son because when the son returned, after disgracing, after being rebellious, he certainly meets all the criteria in the law in Deuteronomy 21. He drug his father's name and reputation through the mud, spent money, all that. His father had the right to go Deuteronomy 21 on him. He could have taken him to the elders of the gate, told him everything the son had done, and had him stoned to death. But that's not what happens. Actually, just the opposite happens. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And if you're like me, you go a little bit weak in the knees when you realize that in telling this parable, Jesus is talking about the relationship that we have with him. You see, we are the prodigal sons and daughters. We're the ones that have rebelled. Now, some of us have rebelled more than others. The true, true, true. But still, we've rebelled. When we celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, there's a liturgy that we follow. Now, when I was a teenager, I didn't like it. I thought it was useless. Just let me go up, take communion, go back to the seat, and let's get out of here, you know? But the older I got, the more appreciative I came, became of it. Because part of that liturgy, right after the invitation, we go into a section that's called confession and pardon. And this is what we say. We say, merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart, we have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. 
and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. That's the confession part, right? So we confess that. Everybody says that, not just the pastor. Everybody says that. But that's not where it ends. Then it transitions into the pardon part. So hear the good news. Christ died for us while, all, while we were all still sinners, and that proves God's love towards us. Then I say to the people, to all of y'all, I say, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. forgiven. And then I shut my mouth, and y'all say to me, in the name of Jesus Christ, you, meaning me, are forgiven. Then we all say together, glory to God, amen. We do that because we are the prodigal sons and daughters. Even if we try hard as we can, we still sin. We sin because we're human. Now, I'll admit, some of us don't try not to sin very much. Um, it's hard to do good. Some try to do better, and that's admirable. But no matter how hard we try, we all sin. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And our Heavenly Father has the right to reject us to turn us back on us and turn us over to the power of death. He has the right to go Deuteronomy 21 on us. But he doesn't. No, just the opposite as a matter of fact. When we repent, when we come to our senses, when we return to him, no matter what we've done, he runs to us. He runs to us, throws his arms around us, kisses us and says, welcome home. And then he throws a feast. Throws a feast and a banquet for us. The heavenly angels form a band. They got this huge pipe organ. It's really, and then they got electric guitars and drums. And they got bass, big old bass. The sub, one of them subwoofers that makes the windows rattle, you know. And they rock out with all that music all together. And they got a choir, a chorus of thousands and millions of voices that come together and sing songs so beautiful and loud and wonderful and there's there's not even any lights there because the bible tells us there is no light because the presence of god fills the room with light there's no need for lights because god is there in the communion liturgy we say we feast at his heavenly banquet what was lost has been found strike up the band Tell the choir to get in place. Set the table. Let's have a feast. A lost sinner has been saved. Death does not win. Love does. So my challenge to you this week is to remember that we are the prodigal sons and daughters. Jesus tells his parable, then goes on to the cross in our place out of his love for us. Jesus removes our death sentence and gives us the opportunity for eternal life in the presence of of himself, of God, and of the Holy Spirit. And he did so out of love. And as a result, our Heavenly Father is looking for those who have wandered, who've made bad decisions, who think their past actions are so bad that well, they could never be forgiven by God. But that's simply not true. We all wander. We all make bad decisions. We are all prodigals to some extent. And yet he invites us he invites the lost sheep. He looks for the lost coin. And he waits for the prodigal sons and daughters to return. And when they do, when we do, 
he celebrates as jesus says in the scripture we did i tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of god over one sinner who repents thank god for his grace and mercy given to us out of love thank god for his son jesus christ who whose blood shed on the cross does what the blood of millions of sacrificed animals could never do forgive us of our sins and reconcile us to god this contemporary christian song that's been out several years by a group of three pastors actually and their names were last names are phillips craig and dean and they had a song years and years ago that's based on the prodigal son and the name of that song is when god ran it was very unusual in the first century for a grown man to run it was very uh social faux pas you know you were dignified and grace-filled and you walked you didn't run but god runs in the parable of the good of the uh par parable of the uh, prodigal son so the lyrics to the chorus of this song when god ran to this he ran to me he took me in his arms held my head to his chest said my son's come home again lifted my face wiped the tears from my eyes with forgiveness in his voice he said son do you know i still love you he caught me by surprise when god ran let him run to you and welcome you home and if anyone asks you if you know what the lost chapter of the bible is now you know luke 15 in the name of the father son and holy spirit amen